This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with three for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. Beyond the pitch, beyond the results, we're here to connect fans, getting them to embrace the highs and lows of supporting your club because we're not just fans, we're a team. With two in three football fans having struggled with their mental health, we understand that life off the pitch can present its own challenges. That's why we're committed to ensuring you have the tools to stay connected with your friends and fellow supporters. Take a moment to connect with your mates. A simple text or an open conversation can make a world of difference. And if they don't respond right away, don't hesitate to follow up. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Welcome back to Cherry Picking, everybody, and thank you for joining us. Sorry, it has been a couple of weeks since our last episode. My fault, not Manny's, but he's back. How are you doing, Manny? All good, thank you, mate. And uh, uh, yeah, just uh, looking forward to this. It has been quite a long time, and obviously I've been quite busy doing a, a great deal of other things. And um, listen, anytime you're always free, you know it's always um, a privilege to sort of hop on. And I sort of work according to your schedule when it comes to, you know, the whole cherry picking thing. But yeah, uh, yeah good to be back. And um, I'm also really grateful to um, your friend Vishnu and also for the help that he's been doing over in my neck of the woods where we were affected by the recent cyclone. And um, many of the areas um, have uh, sort of improved now, but there are still some low lying areas where which have been, you know, very badly affected and hopefully the people over there will still be able to find some form of relief. But, uh, you know, um, all I can say is that, um, you know, God, God and the Lord should hopefully be with um, everyone affected and uh, hopefully um, people will find relief and find peace. Yeah, most definitely. And the link to that video is actually in the description box. So whatever you can give, I know it's Christmas, but whatever you can give, please 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 do give generously and you know i tell you what he's doing a remarkable job remarkable job a lovely lovely man um who's been badly affected himself really by it so yes been some very tough times in chennai but let's get on to the football um and i think in the last video wasn't it um I wasn't too positive about Andoni Iriola. But do you know what? I'm one of those people that I am absolutely delighted I've been proven wrong. What do you I'm make happy. of it? What do you make of it? It's, it's, it's just brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant because... You know, some of these people, I think, you know, online, and when I was knocking Andoni and saying, I don't know if he, because 
I've said throughout, lovely, lovely, lovely man, but I just didn't know whether or not he was going to get us motoring. And that's the big, big concern, you know, for as a football fan. But, you know, a lot of people, as soon as he did, started turning around and saying, oh, you didn't like him, you know, you was all against him, you, you know, you can't stand him and all this. And it's further from the truth. Oh, you still wanted us to lose because you wanted Gary back. No, it's the biggest load of rubbish going. It's so stupid, isn't it? You know, I want my team to do well. That's why I was saying what I was, but what do you make of it? Mate, welcome to the club. (laughs) You do know that both our managers, Andoni Ariel and Mikel Arteta, were in the same uh, youth team, or in this case, um, under-10s team, back in their region of Spain. So obviously they've got, They've um, sort of been in each other's pockets since childhood. And uh, I have the same issue as someone who does not believe Mikel Arteta is the man for the job. The big difference is that while Iriola has now effectively had a half season in charge of the Cherries, Arteta has now been with us for a half season and three full ones, soon to be a fourth full one. Mm. And after, you know, the beginning... Uh, of that half season, which ended miraculously with an FA Cup win, you need to people need to bear in mind that I was never in favour of having Arteta coming in. I never really saw the idea of uh, getting someone like him in who never had any coaching experience, simply because he, you know, learnt from the best yeah. at um, Manchester City. And Arsenal is certainly not the type of place where you can just hand a rookie like Mikel that sort of a job. Yeah, and so despite all of the backing that he's been given, he has not any um, look taken us any closer to winning a trophy. Last season, freakishly, we were well ahead, but the fact that we faded away is partly down to him in many ways, and also some other factors. I get this rubbish a lot from other people. They're the, the type of people who say to me that I would rather see Arsenal fail and enjoy the dopamine rush about being proven right about Mikel Arteta, then see Arsenal win and be willing to accept the fact that I was wrong. When he won the FA Cup, I threw my backing behind him. I didn't want him at the club. I wanted Ancelotti, who ironically went to Everton, when in another universe, the Everton legend would have gone over there and the serial winner, Ancelotti, would have come over and managed us. Yeah. But uh, maybe in some ways Ancelotti dodged the bullet by not coming to us, but that's a story for another day. And we all know, of course, what happened during that time. He deserved support after the FA Cup win, but that first full season, we were so dreadful. We couldn't even buy a home win. At one point, we were doomed to finish in a mid-table position. Somehow we managed to emulate our eighth-place finish, but we couldn't even secure European football. And the narrative ended up being focused on how several players um, who supposedly down tools under Unai Emery, what a job he's doing at Villa, by the way. Well, exactly. Uh, you know, were were the problem under Arteta, and Arteta was um, given uh, the uh, respect and the backing to try to stamp his mark on the team, but Unai Emery was never given that. And there's a part of me that believes that um, the way Emery was treated was absolutely disgraceful, in stark contrast to how. Arteta's being given so much support, and I still have these debates on Twitter every single day. 
So how does that apply to you? You are a passionate Bournemouth supporter. You've gone to Dean Court many times this season to watch the team play. Yeah. And you've seen for yourself the type of football that's being played. <laughs> Obviously, um, you know, Bournemouth is still not quite out of the woods yet because when you take a look at how Everton have been playing and have been able to use that points deduction as a sort of a motivation to try to, you know, get as many points as they can, effectively with an us against the world, or in this case, us against the league mentality, you know, you're still technically not out of the woods and that terrible goal difference of yours with um, those defeats at home to Arsenal and away at Liverpool will, will not have helped matters at all. But there is a recovery taking place. And somehow I think it's fair to say that a lot of the players who were not really um, uh, firing on all cylinders earlier have started to step up. I'm thinking of people like Marcus Tavernier, Justin Cloyvert, <laughs> even the likes of Luis Sinistera, Dunga Otara. The defence looks a little bit solid with the return of Murara Neto and Lloyd Kelly. The midfield seems to be looking okay. Why David Brooks isn't really, um, you know, trusted anymore these days, I'm not too sure. But oh, no. I do hope he will, you know, find his way back into the team because he will certainly lend a great deal to that. And um, Iriola should know that the, t the team and the squad are better with him than without him. And, of course, you've got Dom Sol and Phil Bill. You're starting something. You're gaining some momentum. And I think the most important thing is that the fans shouldn't allow themselves to get too carried away. That <laughs> win over Manchester United at Old Trafford, and I saw oh, those goals. Brilliant. What a game that was. Um, I do know that Harry Redknapp, during his time as manager of Bournemouth, um, you know, really gave United a run for their money at Old <laughs> Trafford. But not even he was quite able to get them over the line, I think. Not he, not Gary O'Neill, not even Eddie Howe. So for Iriola to do that was just amazing. And we could all say that, you know, United are quite frankly uh, an absolute shambles as proven by, as proved by their Champions League exit, uh, among other things. But uh, you still got to beat the teams in front of you, and that's exactly what you did. And whoever would have thought that a team which um, looked completely low on confidence after a loss to one Manchester club would go and uh, beat the other Manchester club on their home turf. Amazing. I but that Newcastle win was what really gave you belief, in my opinion. Oh, most definitely. Most definitely. And I think, you know, that was the thing that really gave us a bit of impetus. Because, you know, casting my mind back now, and it feels a long time ago, even though it wasn't, that Everton defeat at Goodison Park... Now, Everton, at that time, let's be honest, weren't particularly very good, you know, and, well, to be honest, it was just shambolic from minute one. But what Andoni Iriola has done now is he's got a side there that he trusts. Semenyo has been excellent. Tavernier has been excellent. You know, players, the defence has been shored up. Um I think the players have actually started buying into it. The one thing as well, though, is Iriola has now got his assistant. And was he taking on too much? Was it a case that maybe, you know, if he casts his mind back, and, you know, I can't speak for Andoni Iriola, but if he was to cast his mind back, it might have been a case that, okay, you know, we didn't do particularly very well, but maybe if he had carried on playing the way that Gary O'Neill had, that 
we could have got some more points on the board in the early days. But at the same time, you know, another way to look at that is that would we be in the position we are in now where we are playing free-flowing football? It's excellent. It really is, you know, a complete contrast. If you showed me the Everton game and the Man United games back-to-back, you wouldn't even think it was the same team. You have an excellent point there. And um, it, it's hard to really talk, talk about it. And um, I, I, I do remember you saying, obviously, that the um, jump from the type of football that you were playing under Gary O'Neill to now having to adopt this new style. Yeah. Um, you know, we talk about the old cliche, uh, about the cliche, you cannot um, try and put new wine in an old wineskin. I mean, that's more of a biblical thing. Or yeah. perhaps more, you know, um, apropos, you can't aim to um, build um, a new house with some old um, damaged tools or whatever it may be. Yeah, It was always going to take, quite, take quite a bit of time to really, um, for the players to sort of buy into that immediately. And, you know, I do remember you saying that um, if there were a way by which, um, you know, Iriola and one of his um, assistants could have married the two styles together to try to sort of have that pragmatism, but also introduce that kind of open style, it would have been good. And I keep talking about Mick McCarthy, who wanted to see his team play football, but also had the common good sense to know that, um, he was never going to play that sort of open style against some of the bigger teams. And so sometimes you've got to shut up shop. Mm. And it proved to be that way against Arsenal, where I think, uh, you know, you guys tried to open up, but then we caught you far too often on the counter. Against City, it was more or less the same thing. And it's one thing to try to stay true to your principles. It's another thing altogether to sort of realise that sometimes in the Premier League, it's... Um, a tough place to play and it's um, more often than not going to be a baptism of fire and so your principles and your style will more often than not be tested now the reason why i'm happy to talk about this is because i also want to take a look at uh, where bournemouth are right now <laughs> as a, as i um speak they're 14th in the table and uh, the next fixtures that you've got after this are against luton against uh, a Forest team which um, are also going through a difficult period. A game against Fulham that are starting to score goals are plenty at home, but uh, maybe not away from home. Then a little trip um, to uh, North London to catch up with Ange Postacoglu and his Tottenham boys. And then uh, that um, clash on New Year's Eve will pretty much round out uh, the year. So... For what it's worth, you now have at least two opportunities to get three points. The Fulham game is not going to be easy, and the Spurs game will uh, obviously be a big test against a, uh, a team which has also, under Postacoglu, been playing very open with a high line. And you've got a manager there who also wants to stay true to his principles and try and move away from the dour football that was there under Antonio Conte. And... Um, you know, it provides great entertainment. They had a beautiful start to the season, unlike Bournemouth, but now they've been badly pegged back. Yeah. So it will remain to be seen, of course, how, um, you know, you start to fare come the new year against some of the um, uh, bigger teams, especially the teams who you're going to have to play again. Um, in fact, uh, your very first Premier League game on the 21st of January 
January will be uh, the home match against Liverpool. And we all knew that in the corresponding fixture last season, you lot had a wonderful smash and grab win against Jurgen Klopp's boys under Gary O'Neill. And of course, with O'Neill and Iriola being, you know, uh, chalk and cherries, as it were, in terms of footballing <laughs> styles, yes. um, will it um, will it be that um, Iriola will be able to emulate O'Neill there? One might not know. So all I will say right now is that in as much as you can be rightly proud of the results that you've earned, this has to be a time for a lot of introspection and to try and make sure that you really evolve, um, start to evolve more as a team and try and improve yourselves because you can't rest on your laurels. And one of the things I admire about Unai Emery, another Bass coach who has been doing magnificently with Aston Villa and who schooled us um, over the weekend, um, is that, yes, his team are doing magnificently. <laughs> They're third in the league, a point behind Arsenal, two points behind Liverpool. And if heaven forbid, we lose to Brighton over the weekend and Villa beat the Bees, they overtake us and go second. They could potentially end up going top if Liverpool lose, but uh, I don't know how much um, we can, uh, how much they can depend on that. But Emery's the type of manager who analyzes every single game, whether it's a loss or a draw or a win, and tries to sort of do better. And of course, it's pertinent to note that those two magnificent results against Manchester City and our lot came after a draw against you guys where you actually outplayed it, played them a great deal. You literally, um, you know, made it tough for them. And you sort of emphasized the point that they do have to improve their away performances. In fact, had it not been for Emiliano Martinez, who I believe is the best goalkeeper in the world, bar none, yeah. you actually could have um, beaten them by um, a very good score. And it had to take... Um, a late Ollie Watkins um, header to um, sort of, you know, dampen, um, to sort of spoil the party at Dean Corps and um, uh, uh, sort of sneak, um, sneak a point for them at your expense. But, you know, you are starting to improve. You are proving that um, you can definitely do well. It could very well be that your home form, if you are able to put up some more wins, might just, you know, really keep you well afloat. But the trick is now to try to evolve that style into being uh, a lot more, you know, flexible in a way. And Emery's really flexible in his own right because, yes, they play a high line, but they mix that high line with a low block. And their defending against us was outstanding for the most part. Even when uh, um, the high line was, um, you know, beaten and they were able to get in behind, the defenders would come back and clear everything. And Martinez also pulled off some more than decent saves there. So that's how you see um, a manager evolving a certain style of play and making it um, very effective all round. They've had some dodgy results this season, don't get me wrong, and they still will need to strengthen their bench and improve some of their waveform if they are to challenge for um, the title. And I don't think they will, but I absolutely would love to see them qualify for the Champions League especially, um, you know, given the disrespect and the arrogance to which um, Unai Emery and Emiliano Martinez have been subjected by some Arsenal fans, especially some of those twits on Twitter. So Iriola should learn from Emery in many ways in how to try to, um, you know, create a new style, sort of evolve that new style, which will be effective in some ways, and also try to, um, I mean, just, just try and marry the two styles. Um, 
have a, have an open, free-flowing game, but also be pragmatic when you need it. And um, as long as he can get that, um, then I wouldn't be surprised if Bournemouth gets some more results and make sure that they finish even higher than they did last season. And then they can try and, um, you know, kick on from there. We'll see what happens. Well, definitely. And I tell you what, you know, it is... See, a lot of fans now, and to be honest, I'm included in this as well, have been looking at these fixtures coming up. So Luton, Forest, Fulham, they don't seem the scariest of fixtures. Got to be honest. And from what we was feeling, you know, only a couple of weeks back, where we was looking over our shoulder, you know, was doubting Iriola, we're now thinking, can we get nine points out of nine from those three fixtures? It's going to be tough. I think this weekend's game is going to be incredibly tough against Luton. You know, 28 points. If we get on 28 points by the new year, you know, it could even be more because if we do get some result at Spurs, at the end of the day, we've got to be looking forwards. We can't be looking backwards at that point. Um, And I think everybody's perceptions about Iriola, because he has been, of course, the way we sacked Gary O'Neill. And, you know, me being a Gary O'Neill fan, you know, we have come in for some stick, and you could say rightly so. Bill Foley's come in for some stick of that. But at the same time, we've got to start thinking, well, Iriola definitely is the right man for this job because I'm impressed now with how it's all clicked all of a sudden. And like you, you hit the nail on the head, that Newcastle game, yes, a lot of people said it was against a depleted Newcastle, lots of injuries there. But at the same time, that is what has got us motoring. You can't say the Burnley game did because Burnley were lucky, uh, well, unlucky not to equalise in that game. But that Newcastle game, we was a lot, lot better. And to be honest, we've been a lot, lot better. The the two sides are indistinguishable, aren't they, really? Yeah, um, I'm actually taking a look at the table right now. And it's fair to say that um, the only thing that's separating you and Gary O'Neill's current team is the fact that you've conceded 30 goals to their 26. So you are negative four in terms of goal difference, um, you know, behind them. But you scored the same um, number of goals and your re- uh, and the records are played 16, won five, drawn four, lost seven. So you literally are <laughs> neck and neck at the moment. And um, I, I want to say this right now. Um, to go from wondering out loud whether he is really suited for the job to suddenly say, you know what, I've changed my mind. He's the right man. One thing I want to caution you against, Craig, is rushing to that sort of um, a judgment because... The thing about the Premier League is that it only takes one poor result to send everything completely crashing down. And you take a look at um, Sir Eddie, um, albeit in the Champions League this time. Now, they made a magnificent start um, drawing at the San Siro against AC Milan. And of course, with that amazing drubbing of a Paris Saint-Germain team, which were also in a shambles at the time. But two um, poor defeats to Borussia Dortmund home and away pretty much thawed them. They actually dominated PSG when they went to the Parc des Princes and actually took a well-deserved lead. 
but conceded a very jammy penalty and um, ended up drawing that game. And tragically, um, they also took the lead against Milan at St. James's Park. Had they beaten Milan and um, uh, PSG failed to win, they would have gone to the next stage at the expense of the Parisians. But sadly, you know, um, things just um, didn't quite happen and uh, Milan scored a late winner and it all came crashing down. So it's these fine margins. So I don't want, uh, want you and other um, Bournemouth fans to start getting your hopes up and saying, yes, we do have the right man for the job. And we're really, really happy because, um, you know, everything can change in the blink of an eye. Um, I don't know if you remember the J uh, Jesus Jones song right here, right now. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, that's one of my favorites too, mate. I love that band. <laughs> and, um, yeah, so that those, um, uh, the, those words are mentioned in the lyrics. And mm -hmm. the only time you can really say whether or not Iriola is the man of, um, to take the team forward is at the end of the season, when you take a, a look back and see everything in its totality, you sort of find out how far you go forward. And you don't want to be in a situation where you don't really improve on last season's finish under Gary O'Neill, because um, the, um, the sort of mental, um, you know, the narrative will therefore be after that investment, after the um, big decision to get rid of Gary and um, bring Andoni in and enjoying a new style of play, um, are we still uh, we're still not quite better than we were the last time around? Mm -hmm. I suppose for what it's worth, given the backing that he's received, you should probably, you know, um, keep um, keep faith in him. But I also don't want this to be another Jesse Marsh style situation where, after uh, a really good season, uh, things go horribly wrong the next season. So what you mentioned there, um, a target being. Um, 28 points by the turn of the new year. And that may or may not include a hopefully positive result at um, the London State, at the Tottenham Stadium. From there, if you can possibly kick on and get the points you need, the significance of that 28 points you've mentioned, Craig, is that yeah. you only need technically four more wins to get to the 40 point threshold, which would normally be enough. But then you can also try and kick on from there and maybe aim for maybe 50 points. And yes. there's no reason why you know, you shouldn't be able to do that. But it is going to take um, a really concerted effort from both Andoni and the players to continue to stay true to that style of play. And um, a lot of people were saying that Arteta deserved time, but that first full season, we were so awful. And mind you, when we played Southampton at the Emirates, we, were, we fell behind before equalizing and drawing. But if ex-gunner Theo Walcott's goal for the Saints had proved to be the winner... There's very little doubt in my mind that Arteta would have been sacked on the spot because our home record that season was absolutely abysmal at that point. And, you know, fortunately, um, Arteta got a reprieve and now Andoni got his reprieve and has started to build on that. But he now has to keep learning and evolving and making sure that the team doesn't rest on its laurels. You know, it's fair, it's pertinent to note you are only as good as your next game. No matter how good you may have performed, you are still only, um, you've still got the next game to worry about. And this is where I'm going to call out a lot of these arrogant Arsenal fans who had the nerve to say that after a very jammy 3 4 3 win over Luton Town, with Declan Rice scoring that breathlessly, breathlessly late winner, that we were going to go to Villa Park, smash their high line to smithereens. They only dominated Manchester City because they didn't have a midfield, but we do, and we're going to make sure that they pay for it. 
We all know what happened. And some of those fans now have a serious case of egg foo young on their faces, if they enjoy Chinese food, that is. And uh, it just goes to show that, um, you know, you can't simply say, uh, simply rest on your laurels and say that because we um, did well, we're going to continue on like this. And even Unai Emery will be telling his boys, forget about Manchester City, forget about Arsenal. Your next game is against Brentford at the GTEC Community Stadium. They don't have Brian and Buemo, but we won't have Douglas Louise. You've got to prove yourself and make sure that you are worthy. And speaking of Aston Villa, they are still currently nil-nil against um, the Bosnian team. Um, it's liter- They now literally have to bring on uh, their, st- uh, their first team as John McGinn and Luca Digne for some of the youngsters, uh, for some of the fringe players who haven't really impressed so far. Um, it, this could be a jammy draw because Leisure Warsaw won their up, but a draw will suit them just fine. So, like I said, teams have got to get off that cloud from a win and focus on the next game. And Bournemouth will do well to forget about Manchester United and focus on Luton. And Luton are not going to be pushovers, mind you. They've already had three, four home losses to the likes of West Ham and us, and they've shown that they are willing to scrap. If they can get a decent striker who can fire in more goals, they could very well stay up and a few established teams could very well be looking over their shoulder at the Hatters. Hopefully, Bournemouth will not be one of them. Well, hopefully, fingers crossed, we will be well clear at the end of the season. But the thing is, is Luton, you know, let's move on to the Luton game because they have looked good. So, of course, there was that narrow 4-3 defeat against Arsenal, your yeah. team. And then, to be fair, and I watched this game, they probably had, you know, control. You know, I wouldn't say that they had more opportunities because they didn't, but they probably had control of the situation for 85 minutes of the game against Manchester City. Of course, Man City only need five minutes, um, and they put them to the sword. But Luton, like you say, are not going to be any pushovers. And actually, I'm a little bit worried because going back to that Man United game, you know, fantastic win, great memories. It's, you know, one thing, a lot of Bournemouth fans have said it's such a proud moment in supporting the football club to go up to Old Trafford and smash them 3-0, you know. Oh, yes. You know, if Arsenal did it or Liverpool did it, it wouldn't be so much a big deal for those teams because you've done it before. But for Bournemouth, it's a case of, wow, that's quite something. You know, 11,000-seater stadium club going up to Old Trafford, you know, one of the biggest stadiums in the country and going to beat Manchester United. The thing is, I don't, and this is going to sound really, really, really um, negative, but that result stands for nothing if we don't get a positive result against Luton this weekend. Oh, absolutely. And, uh, you know, it it segues, you're sort of piggybacking really of what what I've said. You're only as good as your next game. If you Mm. can't, you know, deliver the goods against Luton, at Dean Core, if memory serves me right, because you yes. will be playing at home, then, you know, that's just going to sort of um, sum everything up. 
maybe the uh, results that you've been getting were just, um, you know, um, a purple patch, and it just wasn't um, able to last. I wouldn't want you to discount the result against Burnley because you needed to win, you know, mm. any which way, by hook or crook. And yeah. you got that win. It was a jammy sort of win. And <laughs> I don't mean to sound like a football snob, but um, as an Arsenal fan, I look down on our 4-3 win over Luton and say, you know what, we have no right to celebrate that win. And we had absolutely no right last season to celebrate that 3-2 win we had against your lot with that breathlessly late winner from Reese Nelson. Those fans who were singing stuff of champions and all of that, shamelessly, as I said, were left with egg foo young on their faces. Or maybe egg fried rice. And uh, whatever you choose. Because you, um, you cannot really have that sort of an attitude. But with a team like Bournemouth, you know, where you haven't really had too many wins, you know, a win any which way would be like gold dust. I think there's a proverb which says that, you know, to a hungry person, there's no such thing as a bad loaf of bread. In the same way, you know, to a team which is struggling to win, there's no such thing as a jammy win. You got your win. And that gave you some self-belief to go ahead and try and uh, get out Newcastle. And from there, the rest is history. But uh, taking a look at the Luton team, which played against Manchester City, interestingly yeah. enough, they used the same 3-4-3 formation that Gary O'Neill used very effectively for Wolves against City. And, of course, they beat City 1-0 before we beat them 1-0. And I think um, we actually should thank Gary O'Neill for softening them up for us, <laughs> in a way. And um, Luton, I think, under Rob Edwards, I think they're starting to learn how to play well within themselves and to try and make the most of everything. Of course, when they played us, you know, they were helped by some very shambolic goalkeeping from David Ryan, it has to be said. And some of our defending was also completely abysmal. But uh, Luton showed that they were willing to compete and fight hard in Ross Barkley, who's trying to, you know, turn back the clock and prove that he's still capable. And Andros Townsend, who's, um, yeah. you know, been given a second uh, wind, as it were. You've got some really determined players and that, uh, I mean, Luton have. And they, um, I think that determination has sort of filtered through to the entire squad. So they're not going to be an easy team to come up against and you will underestimate them at your peril. And so the most important thing to do is to take a look at each and every single game you've played and try and analyze where you could be better. And yes, you kept a clean sheet against United at Old Trafford, but uh, I think it must be said that given their uh, troubles with some of their players, the likes of Marshall and Rashford or another, um, this might be a little bit of uh, you know, a risque thing to say, but they couldn't hit a horse's backside with a banjo at the moment. <laughs> and... Uh, uh, Luton are going to be a different kettle of fish because they're going to scrap and fight for every single point. So how you play against them will determine how you win, or how you fare, rather. And if you try to play in a very open manner against the Luton Town team, which are going to be very um, you know, tough defensively, will try the low block themselves, you know, you're, uh, you're going to ask for trouble. So, so Iriola is going to have to analyze um, the way Luton have played against us and against City, and uh, tell his um, boys, you know what, boys, we cannot take them for granted. They could very well surprise us if we're not careful. And that will mean, obviously, trying to, you know, have a plan B in case 
uh, there's an injury because I do believe Max Aarons is still out for quite some time. Yes. So is, well yeah. done to um, the veteran Adam Smith for coming back in and filling in admirably. Um, will there be a place for someone like David Brooks to come back in and show what he can do or has he been frozen out? I don't know. Uh, the left back position is also going to be something uh, uh, going to be a possible area of concern, maybe. And um, as far as Neto is concerned, I do like the guy. Um, I yeah. love the idea of a journeyman who's come over to a smaller club and made the uh, the spot his own, earned the captaincy on merit, and is certainly um, playing his part as the captain and senior pro. But he might also want to look at some of his, um, you know, performances and say that in some ways he could have done better. And that is something that Iriola will have to tell the boys and um, he'll have to sort of tell himself, look for ways to be better because every game is a new game and this Luton game will be no different. So tactically, if Luton employed the 3-4-3, you are going to have to be very careful because that is, of course, what Gary O'Neill um, uses very well. And you do remember, quite sadly, what happened when Gary returned to Dean Court with his pack of wolves. I don't want to remind you about that. So yeah. it's about evolution. And that is why I don't want um, your fellow Cherry fans to start, you know, um, singing from the stands saying we've got the right man. There's still, so, there's still so many games to play and every game is a new game. And this Luton game will really be a big test of their of his credentials. It might sound crass to say in a way, given that Luton are deep in relegation trouble. But bear in mind, you lot aren't exactly um, uh, safe either. No, and I think there's a lot of teams down there that could find themselves sucked in. Forest, Wolves aren't, you know, out of the woods. Crystal Palace... Um, you know, have been dropping like a stone as well. Um, of course, another team that we recently beat, um, beating Crystal Palace away from home, you know, was... And well done to you lot yeah. for scoring more goals than we did when we beat them. <laughs> you know what? I had to pinch myself because it seems to be that Crystal Palace is the one team that they're a bit of a bogey team to us. But, you know, it showed that, you know, completely different thought process. It was... It was an excellent win. Excellent, excellent win. Don't get me wrong. I don't think Palace were particularly on their game. Michael Lees, you know, of course, was struggling a little bit, I think, because Eze, I think once Eze and Elise are back together, you know, playing together, I think there'll be a different, you know, kettle of fish. But, you know, it was a great result. Um, and of course, you know, felt a little bit sorry for Jefferson Lerma, but then again, you know, shouldn't have left us really, should he? No sympathy for him. No sympathy for <laughs> no. him. You showed him, you show, you, you gave your heart to him and you told him how much you wanted him to stay, but he still said he wanted to move on to supposedly bigger and better things. You know, you pretty much, uh, you know, put him in his place. I think um, a lot of Arsenal fans pretty much have that idea about Emiliano Martinez, but I can never really, you know, be angry with him because he deserved to be our first choice mm -hmm. and um, he wasn't getting the opportunity he deserved. Lerma was still very much a star at the club and, you know, you lot wanted him to stay and he decided to move on. No sympathy for him. It's football. No, nope, completely agree. 
Well, I tell you what, let's um, also discuss something that really has come out today. So Chris Temple from BBC Radio Solent is on BBC Sounds, anybody who wants to watch it. Um, and also, of course, I did a short little video about it as well. Um, Bill Foley spoke to him and Bill Foley mentioned a new stadium. And this is exciting. But again, it's been met with... A mix, really. You know, some fans are apps, you know, fine with the actual capacity. Some fans are like, well, why are we only building it at 18,500? Picture the scene. All of your mates around. You've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Partner this with your team playing champagne football. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. There's nothing quite like a McDelivery. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with three for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. Beyond the pitch, beyond the results, we're here to connect fans, getting them to embrace the highs and lows of supporting your club because we're not just fans, we're a team. With two in three football fans having struggled with their mental health, we understand that life off the pitch can present its own challenges. That's why we're committed to ensuring you have the tools to stay connected with your friends and fellow supporters. Take a moment to connect with your mates. A simple text or an open conversation can make a world of difference. And if they don't respond right away, don't hesitate to follow up. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. I personally think that this is a clever clever tactic as long as it's like a because all these new stadiums are they're a bit like Meccano sets aren't they where you can just lift the roof off put put more bits in um but some fans are like well why are we not building a 22 25 you know there was one figure that was going around you know when stadiums were mentioned of 37,000 now I'm sorry but 37,000 is ridiculous moving from 11,000 seater stadium to 37,000 because and I'll give you the reasoning you know the catchment area you know of Bournemouth is big you know I think we can attract a lot of people from Somerset and Hampshire and all those sort of locations we can't do it right now because there's no seats for them to go into in the current Dean Court What's your thoughts on this, you know, announcement? Do you think that 18,500, you know, with Bill Foley's already mentioned, can go up to 22,000? Hopefully it can go beyond that as well once the scene grows. But personally, I think this is sensible. It is. I mean, you know, one of the things which I can really say right now is that I am quite glad that you uh, made the decision not to try to go too big too soon. Mm -hmm. and uh, really go um, all out for a bigger stadium. Because, again, you also want to be prepared for some of the eventualities. And let's bear in mind that um, Bournemouth is still not yet uh, sort of re-established in the Premier League as of yet. So the very idea that you can actually have, uh, that you might want to build um, for the future far too soon and have a really big stadium as it is right now, but run the risk of seeing Bournemouth getting relegated, I mean... It would effectively be, you know, a, lot, a great deal of money wasted. And as long as Foley's made it crystal clear that uh, he wants to start small, but slowly but surely increase the capacity, depending on how fortunes um, pan out in the subsequent seasons, 
It's smart business, in my opinion. Um, Bournemouth, um, with all due respect to them, are a really um, nice, uh, a really, I don't want to say nice. They have uh, they have some wonderful charms as a club, but in terms of actual um, silverware, I'm not too sure that they necessarily have the, um, you know, the history of some of the bigger clubs in the um, in the football league. And so, while the bigger clubs can at least um, look to try and, um, you know, build upon um, on their existing fortunes and try and move to bigger um, bigger stadia. Um, it's not going to be um, that easy for um, a club like Bournemouth. And when you take a look at the likes of um, Sunderland, who moved all the way from Roker Park to the state, uh, to um, I don't quite remember the name of that, but Stadium uh, of Light. Yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, that's right. Stadium of Light. You're right, mate. And uh, Middlesbrough also remo- moved from Ayrson Park to um, the Riverside Stadium. And so they, um, and, and but mo- both of those stadiums, of course, were. Oh, those old stadia were, you know, um, knocked down afterwards. And so they knew that they had to try and move forward. <laughs> and Sunderland and Middlesbrough have had um, a very long history and they have had some success. But, um, of course, now they're still trying to try uh, to um, sort of get back in amongst the elite. And that's not necessarily guaranteed. And um, I'm sure Foley doesn't want Bournemouth to be another yo-yo club. But if the club can you know, um, re-establish themselves as a consistent Premier League team. There's no reason why, you know, you can't build on that. And it's going to take um, uh, a great deal of, you know, pluck from the team to ensure that they do continue to build on it and try and sort of move forward. Because um, we've seen teams, Craig, like Blackburn Rovers and Leicester City win the Premiership after some spectacular seasons, but very soon afterwards, get relegated. Mm. And it was really disappointing in Blackburn's case for Jack Walker and also in Leicester's case for the uh, um, the owner's family there uh, when they got some relegated because, you know, you, you, they had a beautiful story and they wanted to try to continue to build on that. But I think they went too big too soon. We all know with the Southeast Coast connection about what happened with Portsmouth after they won the FA Cup, under Harry Redknapp, they tried to, you know, invest um, very heavily, and um, we all sadly saw what happened to them. So I think Foley's in some, Foley's in some respect doing the right thing by, you know, um, proceeding a little bit slowly and not wanting to have too much too soon. And um, it, it sounds like a more a sounder investment in many ways. And as long as there is the potential, you know, to expand on that capacity it's not going to be stuck at eighteen thousand. then you know that seems to be perfect i suppose my only issue is that with dean court's current cap capacity being a little bit higher than that i just um, wonder you know uh how the current um supporters will necessarily be looking at that i think they're going to have to sort of understand that it will be you know a means of starting small and then getting a little bit bigger and uh, try and to try and you know, expand a little bit, a little bit even further. You talk about the Cashment area um, with Bournemouth, and uh, you know, to make the most of that would definitely be decent. It's certainly not going to be, um, you know, with any of the London clubs. We all know how overpopulated and how densely populated London is. Trying to find um, a good stadium over there would literally be like looking for a needle in a haystack. And we, of course, had to move from uh, our beloved Highbury to Ashburton Grove, which is about 
uh, a kilometer or so away or a mile or so away from our spiritual home. But Highbury had class, Highbury had character. And if you were to speak to any of my mates who are Arsenal fans with their own um, uh, YouTube channels, they'll tell you that the Highbury days were the best. And that going to Ashburton Grove is, um, you know, completely a soulless experience. And uh, I'll put you on to a few people. Some of them even follow uh, are even uh, subscribed to Up the Cherries and All Departments, and they can tell you yeah. exactly the same thing. So back to Foley. I like the way he's going about it. And uh, as long as them, the fans are willing to be convinced by him and he can also communicate more effectively with the fans on this issue and make it clear that he does have good plans for the club moving forward, but also a good contingency plan, I think um, that's going to be fine. And bear in mind, if he were at a bigger club like a Chelsea or an Arsenal, you know, he'd be expected to always plan ahead. But as Chelsea are finding out under roly-poly Bowley, it's not, um, you know, Don't rosy age. in that garden. <laughs> I think, you know, he's sensible, sensible businessman. I think this all makes financial sense. The other thing as well is when I was doing that thumbnail, I was looking for, you know, stadiums. And there was only one stadium that I was going to go to. And that was uh, MK Dons for a stadium that's too big for the club. Because ah. the last thing you want is to, you know, and let's be honest, AFC Bournemouth at some point in the future are going to be relegated from the Premier League. It's going to be very, very unlikely that we're going to be staying here for, you know, 20, 30, 40 years from now. It would be amazing, you know, and it's possible. But is it probable? Probably not. Now, if we spend a period of time in, you know, the championship, and do remember, you know, Bill Foley is 77 years old, you know, he is, you know, and it's horrible to say, look at it like this, you know, in 40 years time, you know, is he going to be here, bankrolling club? Probably not. Probably not. But at the same time, the way you've got to also look at it is if we are relegated, you know, the last thing we want to do is be playing in a soulless bowl. And we've seen it. Blackburn Rovers is quite probably a good example as well of a team which, you know, Ewood Park, despite their history, you know, with winning that Premier League title and the history in the past, don't really have the fans to fill out Ewood Park all the time. And it's a case of, right, okay, you can expect, you know, two, 3,000 seats not taken. But once it becomes, like in the case of MK Dons, where it's over 50% of your stadium, it becomes a little bit stupid. And that's why I think that what Bill Foley is doing is very, very sensible. Is very, very sensible. Um, and, you know, hopefully, fingers crossed, it's going to work work out well for us in the future as well. Um, so, no, it's all good. Um, the other thing as well, though, Bill Foley did mention, it doesn't sound like Bournemouth are going to sign any players in the January window, which is, of course, coming up, um, which I'm not too worried about. 
What I'm more worried about is players leaving. And one player leaving is Lloyd Kelly. Now, Lloyd Kelly is out of contract at the end of the season. You know, if he's not going to sign a contract now, would you say that it has to be done before Christmas, you know, which gives us just over a week, or we should just cash in on Lloyd Kelly? Because the last thing we want to do is because he has got these suitors. He's got Spurs, believe it or not. You know, there is even talk of him going abroad. Um, I personally think if he's not signed a new contract by Christmas, Christmas Day, then I think it's just a case of that we've got to just cash in. You know, there's no... It's best to just get some money for him rather than let him go on free. Easier said than done, my dear friend, and I'll tell you why. With the injury problems that your defence has been having this season, can you really afford to let Lloyd Kelly go? And, He's injured uh, himself. Oh, mate. And, 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 and that's it. I mean, like, you know, um, you don't, we don't even know if he's going to come back by the new year. So you can't mm. just, um, you know, um, try to sell him and then, um, um, you know, put him in li uh, limbo with his new club because he might not even get to play. So mm. that's a risk you're just going to have to sort of take. And um, I would like to think that if he were to come back into the team and start playing well until the end of the season and really secure his place in that defence, whether it be in the middle or even on the left, because I do believe that he has been used as a left-back at times, um, yeah. you know, he could end up uh, deciding to um, stay uh, and maybe sign a one-year extension. And then you could give yourselves the option of maybe trying to cash in on him in December of the following season, if you were to get some more defenders coming in and believe it or not with a cherries connection, there is talk about trying to sell um, Aaron Ramsdale. I think a lot of um, clubs have been, have made it clear that they wouldn't mind ha um, taking him in. Eddie yeah. Howe has made it clear that he'd like to have him on loan because Pope's pretty much um, cropped for um, the rest of the whole season. Uh, Martin Dubravka's come in and, uh, Probably not really been that fault for, for many of the goals, but he hasn't exactly been dominating, and that's nine goals in three games that the four blokes conceded. He will, of course, be play, starting for Slovakia in the Euros as their number one goalkeeper, so he will need some game time. But, uh, you know, uh, he hasn't really um, been very convincing. And I think, you know, if Eddie Howe can get another goal, goalkeeper to sort of, you know, uh, compete with him and uh, maybe um, just um, play plug that gap, it would be good. They also do have um, Loris Carius, the former Liverpool goalkeeper, and Mark Gillespie. But it's quite interesting to note that neither of those two have actually been trusted well enough. I think it's fair to say, though, that maybe Howe's resigned himself to sort of sticking with those three goalkeepers. Or maybe if he does get a new goalkeeper, he will have to send either Gillespie or Carius out on loan and keep Dubravka in the squad as um, the uh, uh, understudy or competitor or cover or what have you. Mm -hmm. uh, there was talk of um, them coming in for Aaron Ramsdale, but um, I think Arteta has made it crystal clear that there is no way that he will allow the ex-Cherry goalkeeper to leave in January. And he can't allow him to leave in January because we can't be in a situation where we only have um, David Ryan, and Carl Hine as our goalkeepers. Yeah. So bear in mind that um, Ramsdale had signed um, a multi-year deal 
around about last season when things were going so swimmingly for him. He was having that wonderful purple patch, and I think he had done well enough to make the team of the season. But come the final stretch, he was making far too many dreadful errors, and the team lost their way. And Arteta saw it fit to try to get a goalkeeper who would be, in his eyes, a little bit of a, um, an upgrade on him. But Raya has proven himself to be a poor uh, shot stopper at times. He can very easily be out-muscled on high balls by taller, bigger players. And, um, you know, neither of those two goalkeepers at the moment, and I'm sorry because I know you like um, Aaron quite a bit, have proven themselves to be um, quite the finished article. But um, it seems to be Arsenal's way that we get players to uh, sign some deals to remain at the club. And then, uh, you know, at the first opportunity, we cash in on them and take advantage of their high value. And with, Ram and with Ramsdale being valued quite highly, a lot of people are saying January is the best time to sell him. But we can't sell him in January. We might have to wait until the end of the season and then we can try and look to get a fee for him. So with regard to Lloyd Kelly... It's unfortunate that you've allowed him to run down his contract. And he is, of course, now with you guys until the end of the season. And, of course, he is injured. I'd like to think that he should be able to come back into the team once he um, recovers from his injury and start to play well. And then maybe you can, you can have him sign an extension. But also, that means that you can possibly have some leeway to work around him uh, to sell him in December. Once in the summer, you get some more defenders to strengthen your squad. So that's hopefully the course of action that you will take, because I know you don't want to lose him on a free, but you also cannot run the risk of trying to get rid of him in January when, you know, defensively, you might not have the cover that you need, especially if you're not going to buy anyone in that window. Yep. Yeah. No, definitely. Definitely. And I think, you know, the last topic I want to cover off with you is, you know, and for this week, is Neil Blake and Richard Hughes. Now, a lot of fans have been very, very negative about Neil Blake and Richard Hughes. Neil Blake, of course, um, the CEO of AFC Bournemouth, um, the man who is there always next to the players when they sign new contracts. Richard Hughes seems to be doing a lot of the scouting and picking out the players and things like that. Richard Hughes, you know, it was understood. You know, I haven't heard any more about this. It was going around and some reputable sources as well was mentioning it. It seemed like he was actually going to be leaving the club, was basically being put on gardening leave. But that doesn't seem to have happened. So not really sure what's happened there. But I think those two deserve a lot more credit than they're actually getting for the transfer business that we've done. And I'll explain why. Alex Scott. Everybody was in for Alex Scott. Everybody wanted to sign Alex Scott. We got him. You know, the players that we signed, yes, we've spent $120 million. And whenever you spend money, there's always going to be that element of risk. But I can't think... Apart from Hamatriori, of one player that I could say was a waste of money, Hamatriori, I wouldn't even say he's a waste of money. I would say that maybe he just hasn't had his opportunity in the side this season. You know, against Manchester City last season, the 4-1 defeat at Dean Court, I thought he looked very, very good. He looked very promising, looked skillful, um, very quick. 
maybe he's just not come on the way that Andoni wants him to, but I still think he's got a part to play. But what what do you say to these fans that are, are knocking, you know, somebody like Richard Hughes? And you look at our transfer activity. There's not bad one bad sign in there. Yeah, Tyler Adams is another one that's been mentioned. But Tyler Adams, A, is done for the American market. But B, he's a very, very good player when he's fit. And I think it's a case of we've bought him for the future. We've not bought him there and now. It didn't feel like it. It felt like, and I think, you know, of course, people were panicking because the team was struggling. Um, But now we're not. Surely everybody's got to sit back and look at these the transfers we've made. Players coming in, say we've done some bloody great business, really. Yeah, I mean, look, um, you know, for Neil Blake and Richard Hughes, me, um, I can definitely talk about a certain Edu Gaspar over at Arsenal mm. and uh, some of his other minions. Uh, we've made a few decent purchases, but the problem is we've also made some purchases which have proven to be duds more often than not. So I would definitely say to um, all your fellow Cherry fans, do please count your blessings. It has been very unfortunate, of course, that Adams has been injured. And I would go so far to say, Craig, that by signing the um, United States of America captain, he's not just a signing for the future. He's definitely a signing for the present. And if and when he's fit, you know, he's outstanding. I saw him play, of course, at the World Cup in Qatar for the US, and he was a part of that team which held our lot to um, a one-all draw. And, of course, um, for that US team, our then-goalkeeper, Matthew Turner, had a stormer of a game. How ironic it was that Arsenal's first choice was a reserve, whereas um, Arsenal's reserve and former reserves, um, Fabianski and Martinez and Chesney, uh, former goalkeepers were all... I mean, not Fabianski, Chesney and Martinez were first choice for their <laughs> nations at the World Cup, but uh, that's another story for another day. But Adams did an excellent job being able to marshal that midfield, which had quite a few stars in it, including the likes of Weston McKenney and Taylor Dest and uh, uh, Timothy Weyer. And when I heard that you lot had signed Adams, I told myself, you lucky... Jammy so and so. What a player he is. I know yeah. he might not always have, you know, set the world alight at Leeds United, but when he um when Bournemouth got him, you know, you got yourself a uh, you got yourself a player on your hands. And the fact that he's still injured and hasn't really played very much is very unfortunate. First of all, do you know if there's a timeline for him to um, be back to full fitness? It's gonna be in the new year, of course. Um, and of course, I think it sounds like March is probably going to be when, which is, you know, a long time out, a long time out. But with, you know, the new training regimes, you know, at the football club, why not? I think that this is, you know, like Bill Foley did say in the interview with Chris Temple, he wants our players to be healthy he doesn't want them to be injured. And there's going to be a lot of work that needs to be done on getting the players fit and ready for Premier League football in week in, week out. You know, some of those players like Tyler Adams 
And I guess Alex Scott could be probably put into that category as well. Um, it's no fault of their own, but it's a case of improving their fitness to make sure that they can play the intense speed. Because let's be honest, looking back at that Manchester United game, you know, the pace we played it at was quick. And to do that, we have to have a fit side, a side who are able to do that on a regular basis. Um, so, yeah, personally, I think, I think you know, that the plans for the future at the club are all really rosy. And Neil Blake, Richard Hughes have signed some real gems. There is that argument that Nicholas Jackson, maybe we should have signed him. You know, why did we not sign him? Because of his injuries. But at the same time, I think we got um, got away with one there, didn't we? Oh, mate, you dodged a bullet. If you talk, if you, if you talk to Chelsea fans right now, um, you know, they pretty much might be singing that song. He's bad, he's bad, you know it, he's bad. And the whole world has to answer right now, because let me tell you once again, He's bad. I know that's a different sort of Jackson, but you get my drift. And, um, you know, we Arsenal fans were saying the same thing about how we dodged a bullet by not getting Mikhailo Mudrak. But credit to Mauricio Pochettino. He was able to get um, uh, the Ukrainian boy to um, start playing really well. And he was actually looking really good in patches. Still needs to work on his consistency in his all-round game. But, you know, at his age, you think that there's a bit of a high ceiling. But as far as Jackson is concerned, he had a decent start. I think that jammy hat trick he got at the uh, Tottenham Stadium has pretty much, you know, inflated his head a bit. And he thinks he's better than he actually is. And he does need to improve. Sorry, son. You're now learning the hard way that you're only as good as your next game. And uh, you've been uh, pants ever since. So with regard to the players that you signed, for the most part, I agree with you. I mean, I take a look at some of the players you've got, Max Ahrens, Justin Kluivert, uh, Tyler Adams. Kluivert in particular has been an absolute revelation. And in my opinion, if he continues to perform well, it shouldn't be um, unfathomable that he finds his way into the uh, Dutch squad for the European Championships and perhaps emulate his dad once again. Yeah. Bear in mind that, you know, he did earn a few caps, of course, back in the day, but then sort of fell away. And uh, so far has not quite been able to emulate his illustrious father who played nearly 80 times for the Oranya and was a star at um, several of their World Cup campaigns, including, of course, memorably at uh, France 98. But, um, you know, Justin Clover's story is really a heartwarming one. And it's a, it's a real testament to how, um, you know, Blake and Hughes have been able to really look and spot a lot of um, talent that most teams wouldn't even be interested in. Of course, I was speaking to one of my mates, um, shout out to Danny AFC TV, about Justin. And, um, you know, he was saying, um, brother, look, he was um, a really fine player back in the day and he would have been great for us, but he just fell away. But maybe Bourne was the right place for him to sort of get his um, mojo back. And I tell you what, if he does rediscover his form, I think at Bournemouth, he sort of found a new spiritual home for him. So I wouldn't want to see him leave either. So, yeah, you do have some gems. And I think... You know, the most important thing is that if Adams and Scott can get back to fitness um, by the new year or by March, and that will be good. And, you know, the, the most amazing thing about sports science these days, Craig, is that just when you think uh, players will be out for a very long time 
They surprise you with their recovery time and they're back before you know it. Um, you know, a lot of talk was um, about the fear that our, um, over on our neck, um, side of the side, Yuri and Timber would be out for almost the whole season. But now there is some talk about uh, him possibly coming back um, in the new year, at least maybe in February, if not January. Um, bear in mind, he did his ACL against um, Forrest in the first game of the season. So also take a look at rugby, which is ex an exceptionally violent game. Look yeah. at the uh, legendary Wales um, captain, Alan Wynne-Jones, who was meant to captain the Lions on their tour to the world champion South Africa, but sustained a shoulder injury in a tour match, and everybody thought his tour would be over. But the amazing work that he did away um, while the Lions were playing their tour games, um, he got back in time to play uh, um, about half an hour in the final tour game, proved his fitness, and he was there playing in all three tests. So... You just never know. I mean, um, the way sports science has evolved and the way um, players have also um, taken their uh, are taking their recovery seriously, you never know. And look at Kieran Tierney. Everybody thought he'd be out until, um, you know, at least February. But um, he's back in the team in December and um, at Sociedad. And, you know, it's great news for Scotland, great news for Sociedad. And as an Arsenal fan who absolutely adores the fella, I'm delighted for him. So... More pertinently, coming back to your players, yes, I completely agree that work needs to be done to try to improve the fitness of the players because, you know, some of the guys, especially if they come to the Premier League from other leagues where, you know, you don't, they, they haven't really had too, uh, too much of a workload on their legs. Thomas Partey uh, is a yeah. case in point. Um, you know, some of them are, are not really able to sort of withstand the very high rough-and-tumble intensity of the Premier League. But maybe um, that's a sort of an indictment on how the game is played over here in some ways. And, you know, injuries aren't in players' hands. And, you know, Yuri and Timber getting injured that way is another sorry chapter to our terrible list of injuries. I don't know whether it's the uh, training methods or whatever, but we seem to have so many people join our club, start well, then get injured. And, you know, they're not quite the same after that. Hopefully Timber won't be that way, but uh, we just can't tell. But yes, the fitness of the players will have to improve. And if Foley can take some steps to, to make that happen, then he will leave something behind for when he decides to step down. And I'd like to think that he will be sensible enough to, you know, um, reach a certain point where he may decide, I, I don't know if I can handle the stress anymore. I'd like to sort of um, hand it to people who can take over. And let's bear in mind, it wasn't just Foley who bought um, Bournemouth. I believe um, there was a consortium with him who bought it, right? So if he were to step down, what surely one of that consortium would step up and uh, um, pick up from where he left off. So I like the way thing, things have uh, been, you know, done over at Bournemouth. I think Foley, as you've said, has done things very sensibly, uh, true to his um, reputation as a sensible businessman. And um, everything should come up cherries, if not roses. But... Uh, you know, all, the most important thing now is that you focus on this weekend's game against the Hatters and just get the three points and just focus on doing what you need to do. And as for the statement you made where you were honest enough to say that Bournemouth at one point will get relegated, hopefully, hopefully, I hope that doesn't happen uh, too soon at the very least. And, um, you know, we saw with Luton Town how they 
tragically missed out um, on being a part of the original Premier League season when they got relegated from the old first division in 1992. It yeah. took them a long time to um, come up and experience everything again. And um, they obviously wouldn't want to, you know, have a taste of it and then go back down. And uh, there have been other clubs who were there for quite some time, but they've also, you know, had to go back down. Maybe none of them have had the uh, meticulous planning that Bournemouth have right now. But um, I would like to see if you can improve on last season's performances and, you know, sort of evolve the squad a little bit more every year. There's no reason why you can't stay for a little bit longer. But um, again, it's just another reminder. You cannot look too far forward. No, most definitely. Most definitely. And of course, Bill Foley, part of that consortium with Nilla Saka. Um, and of course, Michael B. Jordan, not Michael Jordan, the basketball player, but Michael B. Jordan. Um, so we've got Adonis Creed. Um, do you know what? You, when you were seeing that um, bit from Michael Jackson um, to Nicholas Jackson, just to finish on a little bit of a light note, I did, um, you know, it started going through my head other songs. Um, you could associate with football players with the names. Um, and, of course, started with Brian Adams, uh, connected to Tyler Adams. Um, and then I did uh, it start... Well, there was a song that went into my head. You might laugh at this. Um, <laughs> I cried. But, I'm of ready. Course, Michael Jordan, um, the world's greatest... Um, it, what song was that from? That was, and then I thought, is that Brian? No, it's not. It's R. Kelly, um, Lloyd Kelly. Yes, don't go there. Um, if, if there's any, wouldn't dream of it. I tell you what, that's a challenge for everybody. Put in the comments, you know, a Bournemouth player and a singer who sang a song you know, connect the two somehow, but don't go anywhere near R. Kelly. There we go. Um, I think that's probably where to finish. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, it but... comes straight into my mind and I was just like, hmm. Yeah. But bear, bear, in, yes, probably bear in mind that R. Kelly is not the only singer you will want to avoid. I can, I can think of at least one or two that you might oh, want crikey. to avoid. Yeah. And... <laughs> yeah. But, um, you know, of course, the best part is that once you get those songs, you can use that as chance for individual players. And believe it or not, I believe William Saliba has his own chant to, um, you know, uh, I don't quite remember what that uh, what, what the name of that song is. But there was a campaign to sort of um, have a chant um, for him to the tune of the monkeys, I'm a believer. You know, Saliba, <laughs> believer and all of that. And um, of course... After we lost Patrick Vieira, Fabio Vieira ended up being the new recipient of that Vieira. Oh, oh, oh. you know that Valare yeah. thing? <laughs> but um, any Arsenal fan worth his salt will tell you that Fabio isn't um, anywhere near in Patrick's league. But um, that is a wonderful topic on which to end it. And I would say to all of you Cherries fans, if you can find that connection, connective song, go to Dean Court, make that your chant for that player you could um, really do something. And of course, um, now that Justin Clovert's in the team, you can obviously try and think of something, you know, um, sung by a certain Mr. Timberlake, if you like. Uh, think of something that uh, might... never um... thought of that one. Never thought of that one. Justin Timberlake. Aren't oh. you glad to have me on the, sh on the show? i tell you what. <laughs> is it... 
we started something now. We started something. Gonna go through the whole team. <laughs> Neto, Neto, Nelly Furtado. Uh, is there a link that? No. Um. <laughs> I'm sure there'll be something. I'm sure there'll be something. I'm sure there'll be something. Um, you know, you could say he's like a bird. He likes to fly away. I don't know if he necessarily flies that much to make any of the, any of the saves, but uh, yeah, oh, listen, dear. you know, you lot can probably think about something even better than I can because you've got a bigger connection to the club and the yeah. players than I do. I've, I, I have enough trouble trying to figure out something for my players, probably because there are very few in that team who I really like. Um, of course, we've got three um, Gabriels, both of them are Brazilians. We could call them the Bee Gees. And if they perform, if they perform well, you could say they give us a case of night fever. Quality, quality. <laughs> Do you know what? I'm loving this final bit of the conversation, Manny. It's a pleasure as always. Um, hopefully, fingers crossed, we'll do it next week. I'm sure we can do um, the final one before Christmas, and of course, the busy, busy, busy type period that we're going into. Um, yeah, it's um going to be non-stop, isn't it? Going to be non-stop in the coming weeks. Yep, it will be. And uh, as always, listen, whenever you find time, you know the drill. You call, I come running. Awesome, awesome. Well, I'm sure I'll be calling for next week. A Christmas special, episode 40, up to 40 already. Crikey, that's... Um, didn't realise we'd been doing it that long. But Cherries fans, until the next one, we'll see you. Make sure you hit the like, subscribe, bell button, all that jazz. Fingers crossed, three points against Luton. We'll see you next week. Up the Cherries. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. We understand that the journey as a supporter isn't always smooth sailing, but rest assured you're not alone. There's a vast network of fellow fans who share your passion and may be experiencing similar challenges. Honesty is key in any relationship. If your friend asks you how you are feeling, tell them honestly. If you're going through a difficult time, let them know. Open them up about how you are feeling can really make a difference. After all, they are your mates for a reason. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.